Welcome to the Daily Decision Podcast. This is a podcast dedicated to men, men who are tired of chasing and finding emptiness, men who want to find true fulfillment in everything they do. In this podcast, you will learn to achieve success in the key areas of your life, physically, emotionally, in family, and in business. Remember, it all starts with a decision. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of The Daily Decision. I'm your host, Michael Chabot. Today we have the pleasure and honor of having a friend of mine, Scott McDonald, join us. He is 29 years old from Toronto, Canada, founder of the Ontario Hockey Club, host of the Real Experience podcast. His passions include coaching, entrepreneurship, hockey, personal development, podcasting. He's the youngest of five. Wow, that's a lot. And uh, currently developing an international personal development business for business professionals, athletes, entertainers, and individuals across the globe. Scott, welcome. Michael, it's great to be here. And uh, that was an awesome intro, man. It's like you've been doing this a couple of times a week now, eh? <laughs> I've done it a few times. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, man, youngest of five. Yeah, it's funny. Every time I uh, I tell people that, they're like, uh, and it's funny, My when people, uh, when I was a kid, people would say to my dad, oh, was that your youngest? He would say, no, that's my last. <laughs> but I yeah, but yeah, there's five of us and uh, it's I'm the youngest of all of them. And I'm the one who, I'm not the one that got away with stuff. It was just, I was the one that everybody, by the time people, uh, you know, they got to me and I was of age to kind of go out into the world. My parents had seen anything, everything from my other siblings. So I was just like 10 o'clock at night, 12 years old. Hey, I'm leaving the house. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> right. Yeah. You <laughs> got the benefits of everybody else, right? Yeah. Really, really relaxed in that. But yeah, my, uh, my oldest sister and I are separated by 13 and a half years. So, um, yeah, wow. she's, she's from the seventies. I'm from the nineties. So my parents wow. were, uh, yeah, they spread it out. That's for sure. <laughs> they were busy. Wow. Mm -hmm. That's crazy. Well, you answered that question. I was going to ask you, what's the age difference? So that's cool. All right. So I'd love to ask this question right off the bat, which is when someone finds out what you do or where you're from, what question do they always ask you? Well, they always make fun. All typical of the the Canadian from Toronto being in hockey, right? <laughs> um, <laughs> I get a pretty good response. People think it's really cool that, uh, you know, I get a lot of people who say like, oh, I envy you, you know, like to do to run your own hockey club. That's amazing. I would have loved to have done that. I wish I could quit my job tomorrow and do that. And yeah, it's really cool in, in some sense. And there's a lot of stuff where I said, well, here's some of the stuff you got to put up with. Like, oh, I never knew that. I thought it was just like, you know, nice jerseys and winning tournaments and, you know, prospect teams and all that stuff. I'm like, no, there's a lot of uh, a lot of uh, legwork when it comes to it. So I do get a pretty good response. People think it's really cool. It is a lot of fun. Like I say, I really enjoy it, uh, but it's a lot of work at the end of the day, uh, even though, you know, our program runs from usually late April uh, to the end of August. You know, we got different tournament teams, events, uh, you know, just development programs, stuff like that. And it takes a full calendar year to make it happen because when we're not, you know, when the when the program's not firing, we're recruiting, finding out how we can make the program better, you know, networking with other organizations and coaches and speakers to be a part of what we're doing and all that. So it's a lot. There's a lot of uh, a lot of emails, a lot of phone calls, and you know, this uh, whole uh, virtual way of doing it now I think is a lot more warming than than saying, hey, let's do the old cold call fashion. So I think this is something we'll incorporate moving forward for sure. Yeah, a lot of good lessons being learned about uh, what we're experiencing now. So let's let's dive in, right? Because 
you know, my listeners know I'm a huge hockey guy and, and I just want to preframe this and say, look, the whole conversation is not going to be specifically about, about hockey. It's really going to be about the lessons that you can learn to achieve your best life through a game like hockey. Right. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, what hockey does for individuals as far as their life and where it can take them, et cetera. So talk about, let's, let's go backwards and then come forward. Um, Talk about how you got to where you are today in running the Ontario Hockey Club. You started out as a player as a youth, I would imagine, correct? Yeah, I did. And the funny thing is, uh, I started and uh, I from four to seven years old, I joined and quit, joined and quit, joined and quit. And my dad had uh, he was him and about three or four other people ran the local organization. They would take turns at president, vice president, uh, GM, treasurer, all that stuff. Um. And uh, he would run the mite program. So when I would go to the mite program, I thought I was going to go. I have an older brother that played who was a really good uh, hockey player. And I thought that I was going to be going on the same ice as him. But I wasn't. I was going on, you know, with my own age group. And that actually kind of, that's been instilled in me throughout my whole life. I've always been attracted to hanging out with older people and, and dealing with an older crowd my whole life. So I would go and I would do it. And, and then it would be, you know, my dad would run the whole mite program. So he would be you know, make overseeing all the stations and I'd be seeing these coaches and I'm like, I don't know who you are. I don't, I don't like this at all. So <laughs> from like four or five, six years old, I would join and quit, join and quit. And it, it usually lasts about like a month and a half, two months. And then my dad just wouldn't take me anymore. So finally uh, it came time to register again. And, you know, my mom says, I don't think he wants to play. And he said, I'm going to give him one more chance because now you get to play games, right? It was uh uh, it was, uh, the first year that they did, uh, mites and then tyke, and I was going to go and be a, a mite that got to finally play regular season. And she said, okay, so we went and played. And finally, the fact that I just got to play games, I was ecstatic and I didn't score a goal that year. I barely touched the puck, but it was just the fact that it was finally games. Um, so then that was my first full season at seven years old, which is like everyone else, my age, who was at a higher playing at a higher level. They had three, four years on me, right? So I'm just, and I'm not thinking anything of it. I thought, oh, I played a full season. I, I'm on the same path as my brother, not realizing he'd been playing. He started like at two and a half. Wow. You know, he was, yeah, he was skating at uh, 21 months from what my parents said. Um, so yeah, I started there and, uh, you know, over the next couple of years, I really started to pick it up and get better and better and better. And uh, for the majority of my life, I played double A hockey you know, uh, in the GTHL in Toronto, you know, triple A being the highest. Um, I got to AAA when I was 15 for the juvenile team. And that's uh, that was the farm club for uh, the junior team, Brampton Capitals. So I played on the juvenile team when I was 15. And I was a call-up. And that was really my last like full year because um, I had, you know, I had hairline fractured one of my shoulder blades um, when I was uh, about 12 or 13. I'd separated my shoulder when I was 14. Uh, you know, I had multiple concussions. So basically from the shoulders up, by the time I'm 15, I'm cooked. Mm. Uh, I still kept playing till 17. Uh, but it was just one of those things where you're, you know, I, I, I clicked in a lot sooner than most players do where I said, okay, this is it, like the end of the line. And that's something a lot of hockey players struggle with. They don't know how to give it up. I, I have friends still to this day who are playing in the East Coast Hockey League making, you know, four or 500 bucks a week when the season's on and they're on a week to week contract. So they can wow. be gassed at any time. I've had some friends who are on a daily contract where it's a certain rate. So they'll get, you know, 75 bucks per day and it rolls over at midnight. 
a new one, a new one until they go and say to you that day we've traded you or we, we released you. Um, so I was, I was pretty fortunate to, to not fall into that and to, you know, um, not be as good as I, as, uh, you know, as people think like when you get into hockey, they think, Oh, you must've been like a hell of a player. Yeah. I was good for a Toronto kid, <laughs> you know, but when I got to high school and I realized there's a greater Toronto area, not just Toronto, <laughs> um, you realize, okay, there's a whole world out there. Um, but it was funny when I left the game, I, I was kind of bitter about it because the injuries I had, I, I worked my ass off. I really gave it my all. Um, and by the time that I, uh, I got to, you know, uh, working and, you know, I stopped playing men's league. I just really wasn't into hockey anymore. And I was bitter about it because I just, you know, thought, oh, like all that effort I give, some guys don't give half the effort that I did and and they get theirs in some sort of sense, whatever that might be. And I didn't. Um, yeah, so I got it. So I left the game for a while, didn't coach, didn't play nothing in my early 20s. And then by when I was 24, um, I have I have a niece um, who she's a. Uh, I'm 14 years old, uh, older than her. So she was at like my grade eight graduation when she was a baby. So, you know, not where we were, it's the same, it's the same age from my oldest sister who was her mom and myself, which is kind of cool. And uh, yeah, her and one of her teammates, um, you know, they're playing on a really strong team and they're two of the top players in their age group and they wanted to get into the gym and train. And that's something I was really big into. I was really big into training um, my teammates and my older buddies who went to the NCAA. I'd write their off-season programs for them. And I never thought that's something you make money at. I thought, I'm just helping my buddies out. That's the only way I saw it. I was really naive that way, you know? And, uh, yeah, so I, I, I trained them, and they went back to training camp, and parents couldn't believe the shape they are in and, you know, how much stronger I was skating and all that stuff. And they asked, like, oh, well, what would you guys do? Oh, well, you know, McKenna's uncle trained us and you know we had fun and we got to know the basics and that's what we're doing so more people signed up well after that some of the parents said hey you know we're looking to do a spring team would you coach it you know some of the dads that will help you out get to know some of the players i said yeah sure okay i'll do that i was thought about getting into coaching one day anyway so why not um and then that's where the snowball effect came in (laughs) because when i started to recruit for that team and get more traction on the on the strength conditioning stuff um i I started to you know people started approaching me to you know be on that team and then i thought you know um maybe i'll make a little club you know just a couple of teams at each age or a couple teams throughout um, the age groups and see what happens Um, and then i also wanted to start training teams because i was really starting to enjoy that so i remember i made an email list of 500 coaches from boys and girls hockey in uh, the greater toronto area for a free one free dry land session. I sent it out and I got one response. Wow. <laughs> yeah. And that one team had a dad on it who was a part of the development uh, committee for the whole organization. And they were looking for a strength conditioning provider for all their double uh, uh, A programs and a, and a programs. So all their top rep programs and uh Two, two months uh, into those conversations, I landed that contract. I was running out of a gym and paying them a percentage. And next thing you know, I had eight teams to my strength and conditioning portfolio. So as we start getting going here and I'm thinking, oh, wow, this is like, this is what a great start. Um, I start to order uh, my jerseys. The sales guy calls me. He says, oh, yeah, you know, I coach for a girls uh, spring club, too. And I went, oh, my God, this, yeah, this guy's going to want to know all my stuff and you know, this, this is not going to work. And then we met. He's like, oh, yeah, I don't like where I'm coaching. Do you mind if I join your club, though? 
and I only had one team at the time, just my, my, uh, my niece's, uh, team and her friends. And I said, yeah, man. Yeah, for sure. He's like, yeah, I got a U18 team. I'll just bring the whole team over. I was like, okay. <laughs> nice. You know, then he goes and says, yeah, I got a buddy who's got a, his son has a team and they want to play. And at the end of it, I think it was five or six teams. We had that first year. We had about eight teams training in the off season. And then it just built from there. The following year, I opened up my own facility. Um, and the, we had, uh, you know, about 16 uh, prospect teams. We had a bunch of teams and associations training in the gym. Just a bunch of good stuff. And it just kept growing and growing from there. Um, as time went on, I, I started to lose a bit of interest in the strength and conditioning component. I found that was taking a lot of time out of growing the business because I switched from just being a one-man show who's just trying to make a living and some extra money um, you know, like it was more of a side hustle mindset I had at the time to where I started to realize, Hey, I like to see businesses grow and do new things and create new projects and execute them and all that fun stuff. Uh, so I started to go there. So I, I, I moved, uh, to a different, I moved into an arena, um, and started there. The passion for the strength and conditioning part was, was still lacking. So I sold off all that. I stuck to my guns with just the hockey programming and uh, different things happened. We started doing combine showcases. We started doing uh, our weekly spring league, uh, more camps, uh, more more work with the NCAA and new sports up here in Canada. Um, and it just became a whole lot more fun. And uh, yeah, here we are today. We're supposed to, this would have been our sixth, uh, sixth spring as of uh, May, uh, if I remember correctly. Yeah, one month. Yeah, it would have been season six, May 15th. That was our first, uh, our first tournament we ever played in. So uh, last year was our fifth anniversary and we just kept going. And, you know, now there's the podcast and all this other stuff that you were mentioning earlier. That's kind of, you know, the, the hockey club's going to be the launch pad for that. And we're going to build from there and just, yeah, a lot of new cool stuff happening, but that's pretty much the, the fast track version of it. I can, I could have spent probably an hour talking about that whole, the ups and downs, but (laughs) it's a great story. Thank you for sharing. And it's, I like how it was just something you were passionate about. You saw a need and it's very simple. You know, there was a need, there was an absence of what you were providing and boom, it just exploded quickly. Right. Yeah. Especially on the girls side. Um, as the girls, girls hockey is tremendously underserviced. There's a lot more one man shows popping up claiming to be the next one who will get you the deal. Some are very good. I've actually developed some great friendships with some of the new ones that come up. Um, but others there, you know, like there's some that like they last a year and then they go. Uh, but girls hockey is becoming extremely popular. It's still under service. The, the thing is that people don't realize it's become a lot popular and more mainstream, but the, po- the population growth is still steady. You know, there's still that aspect that's get wrapped around. It's still not like boys, but it will. It, I, I think, you know, from a population standpoint, you give it another 10 years, you'll see as many full teams that you do in boys hockey. So it's a really cool to kind of be a part of that process at the same time and, you know, contribute in that kind of way. Yeah. I love that. Let's talk about, um, I want to relate hockey to this. So this, this podcast obviously is about making decisions that, uh, on a daily basis, consistently hard work, commitment, you know, all the things that it takes to truly achieve success in life. And I want to relate that to hockey and how you teach the players or, you know, how you see players, who make it to that next level, what separates them maybe from the players that don't from a mindset, a commitment, a dedication standpoint? Yeah. You know, it's interesting. Um, when you, when you 
when you really start to work the mind into it, you hear that so much as a kid growing up, like, you know, it's all in your mind, your attitude, you have to learn to do this. And that's the thing. A lot of people say those things to athletes and, and hockey players, especially, um, because hockey players are very driven. It's a very tough, aggressive sport. You know, it's a sink or swim thing when you're playing out there going, you know, 20 miles an hour on, on blades on your feet. Um, so what I've noticed is the, the, the top ones, the ones who truly make it, who are consistently the elite and they let their, you know, they let their performance speak for itself because there are some people who have a ton of talent, but they feel they have to showcase that they have to do the Instagram and, you know, and they have to be the loudest one in in the dressing room or in the lobby or stuff like that. And it's interesting with the, uh, with, with the elite, they're, they're, they're introverted for sure. There's, there's not too many alpha male or alpha female, uh, you know, uh, elitist I'll, I'll say for now. Um, the mindset that they have is you don't need to tell them what to do. They already know what to do. And once they're showing something new once, they just start doing it. They don't have to be reminded. And that's really what I find is some of the simple stuff that separates it. You know, that, that there's a fence, right? There's a fence, there's a column, there's pros and cons, you know, there's this side of the fence or that side of the fence. And the ones who really have that, that more higher, higher sense of self, I would say, they know which side to pick. You know, they, they, they don't sit on the fence and say, what well, maybe I want a little bit of this and a little bit of that. They commit themselves and they go. And it's something that they want. It's something that they think about. It's something that they're excited to do. And it's something that when they have momentum, they just keep going. And, and again, you don't have to tell them what to do because they just do it themselves. So I found that's been the one thing with the mindset. Now there's the flip side of the ones who they like the look, they're interested in the look, but they're not interested in the work that goes into it. And they'll tell you, and they'd be, they would probably be great salespeople because if they just made the sale, they can walk away from it before the work is done. Right. Um, so there's the ones who their mindset is, it's kind of the keeping up with the Joneses thing. They, they see it and say, okay, well, I want exactly what that person has. Okay. We'll, we'll give you the opportunity. You're on the team now. And then it's, you know, well, I know so-and-so is one of the best goal scorers in the league, but I could be the best goal scorer in the league if I could play with so-and-so. Well, deep down, so-and-so doesn't want to play with you because you're not at that level. And I, I, I always tell my athletes, and I started to do this whole thing about the marketplace and reality. So the marketplace is reality, right? And you get paid in shifts. You get paid in ice time, playing time. So the more value you bring to your team, the more playing time you're going to receive. Now, when you say that to a high-performance person who, who understands that, they get it and they know every aspect, what they have to do to maximize their playing time. When you say it to someone who is thinking on a lower level, all they heard was become a goal scorer, you'll get played more. They didn't hear, you know, become someone who's very good at forechecking and wearing their team down, become better uh, at face-offs, become a shutdown defender on the blue line, you know, be one of the best penalty killers in the league. Because you might play for a team that gets either scored on a lot, but not when you're on the ice, or you might be playing on a team that gets penalized a lot. And there isn't as much power play time as you think. And that's something that really separates. I, I, I remember um, uh, Bill Waters, who was a part of, who was the VP of, of uh, the Toronto Maple Leafs. And when they got Doug Gilmore back in the 90s from Calgary from that steal of a trade, 
which, you know, guy from Toronto's still bringing that up. So I'm going to get ridiculed for that one. But, uh, but if, if anyone from Calgary is not listening, at least, <laughs> but he said, when your best offensive player is your best defensive player, you have what it takes to start winning. Mm. And I remember a, uh, um, one of the, um, one of uh, the uh, hockey dads that I respected really well growing up, he's passed on now. He said, when you're the CEO of a company and like, I mean a successful company that you built from yourself all the way up to whatever number of employees that you have, you know how to do everything. There's not one job in there that you do not know how to do. And it goes the same thing in athletics, not just in hockey, but you know, we're talking about how to relate it to there. So, you know, someone who can play on both sides of the puck that brings more value to the marketplace. Mm -hmm. Someone who just says, I want, I want, I want, but doesn't take the action to do, they have less value to the marketplace. So let's, let's compare it this way. You know, you go to McDonald's, you know, uh, minimum wage here is 14 bucks an hour. You know, if you smile and do a good job, McDonald's will still pay you 14 bucks an hour. You wear the hat, you're still getting 14 bucks an hour because you bring, a limited amount of value to the marketplace for what is provided by that service. Now, um, was it Jeff Bezos? I think I read this, uh, this morning, an article makes something like $9 million an hour. If, if, if it was an if it was an eight hour workday, <laughs> you know, plus or minus, or that's what Amazon makes. Now would someone get nine, that, that kind of money, and the answer, like for the, for the same hour, like that much more. And most people say, well, no, that's ludicrous. But the answer is yes, actually, because that person brings more value to the world. So now you're talking on a global scale, the cashier at McDonald's getting $14 an hour, the person who's in charge of distribution for multiple products that go to multiple people throughout the world. And uh, people will say, well, that guy's greedy. Well, no, that guy's not greedy. It's he's he's making things more accessible for you at the same time. You're just you just can't wrap your head around the fact that he's he's more well off than you. And that actually kind of relates to a drill. So you always as you're a coach, you get those talented players where you do a simple drill and they look at you. Why are we doing this? Yes, this is stupid. Well, because, you know, you're you need to sharpen up on this skill and the whole team. And there's some players who really need to learn how to do this. Well, and they go, they go and they half ass it. So that's the same person that we talked about. The one that makes $14 an hour and the one that said, yeah, I really want to be on the team. I, I, I know I can be a top player for you, even though they, they can't like they can't just because you say, I want to be a goal scorer. doesn't mean you're going to become one. It's like saying, I want to be an astronaut. I know I can't be an astronaut. <laughs> Why? Because I have zero interest in going to space. <laughs> now, there's the flip side of that of that drill. There's the the one who brings more value, who understands and gets it, and gives a hundred percent. Knows that it's very simple, but completes it, executes it each time. And then there's the one who drags ass through it and doesn't execute it. Mentally, they can't get around. They say it's an easy drill, but it's actually a hard drill because they can't fathom why they should be doing that they can't wrap their head around it they can't get into that mindset and that's the same person who will never understand why they're not they're not getting making more in life why they're not getting more done you know because they're they're self-sabotaging themselves by thinking i need to i need someone to validate this for me before i take action where there's other people who who perform on a high level who you know 
the daily decision. They make those decisions consistently every day. They don't think about it. They just do it. They already know they're going to do it the, the day before. Yeah. And I think that's what really separates that, that mindset. It's just, you know, executing daily disciplines consistently is the difference between being a high performance mindset, you know, and stinking thinking as Zig Ziglar would say. <laughs> mm, I love that. Yeah. Dude. Awesome answer, by the way. And, you know, I, I say all the time, like the, the key to fulfillment and true self-love is every day giving yourself a list of promises, things you're going to do and showing up and doing them. And by doing that every day, slowly you build confidence and that's called earned confidence, right? Yeah. There's a difference between perceived confidence and earned confidence. I've heard it said like this. I can perceive that I'm going to get in the ring with Floyd Mayweather and kick his ass. But Floyd has earned confidence because he's put in over 10,000 hours in the gym and he for sure is going to kick my ass. Yeah. Right? Yep. Have you ever read uh, David Goggins book? Can't hurt. Oh yeah. One of my favorite chapter four, uh, taking souls. Yep. It's the same thing. It's where you perform at such a level and you are so excited to accomplish so much that when your competitor or counterpart hears about it, it's like when he was doing stupid amounts of running and all that stuff. And they, and they, and you know, they had to post it up and throughout their platoon. And he had one guy chasing him, trying to, trying to do it. And the guy thought he finally had him that week. It was like, nah, Goggins did this. And it was like, oh, really? And I and, and that's what happens on these teams. But here's the thing. When you have it when you have, you know, a top player that is consistently at the top, that new player that came in who want who wants to emulate that player but can't do it. They just they just haven't put the the previous year's work as the other player in. Their soul gets taken. But what do they do instead of trying to learn from that person or think their way to success? They start playing that blame game, right? Mm -hmm. And then it falls in, oh, my kid's depressed about this or, you know, I'm depressed about this because life isn't turning out the way I thought it was and all that. You know what? You have to motivate yourself. There there is no such thing as motivation from somewhere else. You know, you can, you have to self-motivate. And here's the thing. Well, what about motivational speakers? Yeah, but you're, you're self-motivating by choosing to listen to them to get you jacked up for that five minutes to go do something, mm -hmm. right? And I find with, you know, the ones who don't have that mindset, they don't love themselves. As you just say, that self-love isn't there. And if you can't love yourself, you can't love anything else that you're doing. And that's something I struggled with. I used to, I used to think like, uh, you know, like negative self-talk that wasn't, I didn't think I was taught telling myself it, but I was, it was my subconscious basically. I, once I started to learn all that stuff and that's something a lot more psychedelic one day that we could get into. But, you know, when you start to realize like, you know, how you're sabotaging yourself without even realizing it. Yeah. Then that's where you can start to make some change and some progress for sure. But yeah, you need to love yourself when you're doing something, because if you love yourself, it makes it that much more easier to love other things for sure. Yeah, yeah. I agree. And you know, something I want to go back to is you were talking about high performers. Would you agree that sometimes high performers aren't always the most talented? They build that talent through hard work. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, uh, I've seen, I have some of my athletes who had to do the long route in, in, in women's hockey. So they did I, one, one of my athletes who just came home, uh, she, her team was her, it was her last year at uh, university of Prince Edward Rhode Island. Um, and they were hosting nationals and they had a team that, you know, it, they were, 
they were a favorite to to compete for the finals there, and they got it pulled. And she was on my podcast. Her name's Rachel Cole, and she was a kid who in Bantam, she was playing uh, double B hockey her minor year, wow. and then she went to uh, major Bantam. She played A. She did a year of midget. First year midget was A. She did her second year midget double A, and then two years of junior. And she made a decision that she had to leave her friends behind who she was always playing with. I always want to play with my friends. And, but her mindset was different. She's like, well, I really want to play university hockey. What do I got to do? Well, you got to, your friends, they're great people, but they don't have the same ambitions. So you got to leave them behind. And that's where she got into training and extra skills, skill work, power skating, all that stuff. That's it. That's someone at 14 years old making that decision, you know? And that's the thing when kids don't get enough they do not get enough credit for how smart they actually are when it comes to what they like to do. You know, mom and dad usually get in the way and it's mom and dad living vicariously through their kids. And there's going to be a ton of people who say, Oh no, not me. Not with you like it. Yeah. Yeah, you do. You do. Okay. It, it, it just, just the, the second you can admit that the second you can change and, and start to move. But, uh, that's what she did. And she was, uh, she was saying it was, uh, I believe the fall of her, Final year, she finally got some interest. Um, and then closer er, between fall and Christmas time, she got her offer. And it was a five-year um, five year journey for her when she made that decision. And then she got five years of university hockey out of it. And everyone else, you know, can say, well, you know, you're just a one-hit wonder. But, you know, sometimes you only got to be that wonder one time. <laughs> Yeah, and get through it, and that was hard work. Like if if you if people say today, hey, a double B player in Bantam is going to be a five year university player, they say no, no way. They give up on that idea right away. But if you work the process, the process works. Things are though, people are too scared to work the process because they're afraid of being embarrassed, and they mm. don't really know. You know, like look at this. You know, us as podcasters, when we're first thinking of, it, I don't know, people want to hear me talk or say this. My voice sounds kind of weird. This and that we have this inner child that has all this magical music that's just dying to get out and perform. And some people find a way on how to get that out by making that decision and not worrying about what other people are thinking. Cause actually it turns out usually if you're the class clown who gets it out, people usually like you, you might be goofy in some ways and some people think some of your stuff's weird, but, but you know, 90% of the time they like you, you know? So it's, yeah. it, it's the same thing when you're, when you're performing that way. Right. But yeah, hard work, you know, there's the, there's a saying, which I'm not big on, you know, uh, hard work beats talent when talent doesn't work hard. Um, but at the, at the end of the day, it's just, again, hard work isn't just, you know, people think it's er, exerting, you know, you went to the gym and you came out drenched. No hard work is saying, okay, I got a list of 40 things, the most simple tasks, but they're difficult. You write them down, you look at them. Yeah, that's really simple, but now you got to complete them consistently day by day. Can you imagine like you and I have learned from the London real course about growing micro going micro. Can you imagine if we went micro on a morning routine, how many little things we could really cringe in there in like an hour time frame? you know, but a lot of people won't do that. People will look, Oh, there's COVID-19 out in the world. Hit the snooze button again, man. Yeah. Train yourself to give up and it's not time to give up. It's time to get moving and do new things. And that, that goes back to hard work. Uh, no. I love that. Yeah. As, as a coach, I mean, I tell all my players and, and I say this to my listeners, people who've listened to me on my other podcast, um, 
It's about consistency. It It's whatever you decide to do, in most cases, it's not going to be overnight success. It's going to be every day showing up, answering the bell, and pushing yourself harder. And I like that you say in that quote, hard work is not about, you know, it's about that consistency, being able to stay focused when there's a million distractions in life trying to pull you away from it, right? Yeah. Um, I'm going to say one thing and then I want you to expand on this, but I recently saw an interview with Wayne Gretzky and he was talking about like, you know, he's like, I really wasn't that much better than anybody else. I just loved it so much that that's all I did. And I consistently worked every day because I loved it so freaking much. My parents didn't have to tell me to do it. Do you think that's the difference what separates? Well, here, here's a great example that I, I've always used. You ever have that game where every time you shoot or deke, it's just going in? Mm-hmm. You just have that one where the puck's coming to you all the time and you're having the time of your life? The ones who excel with that kind of production – they're doing that every day. And that goes back to the execution thing that you talked about. So for, for me, it's one thing where I, I remember I was, a, I was a good ball player when I played, you know, hit for contact, hit home runs, whatever. But I just love getting up to the plate because I would pick a spot. I said, that's where I'm putting it, you know? And most of the time I was right. I remember, I remember one, one season I started 38 for 38. And then when, and then when I went uh, up, I hit this line drive rocket and the kid just put his glove up to protect his face and he caught it. And yeah, I threw my bat down everything. I was pissed, but that, that was how competitive I was. But I was so into, I was so into hitting, you know, I was so into, you know, positioning my feet and, and hitting the, you know, and, and holding up on, on, the, on my swing to hit, go opposite field and all that stuff. And in hockey, it's one of those things where you can feel the momentum inside of you. And then when you let it out, everything just starts to click and happen. I think what happens with a lot of athletes is they haven't had that kind of success. And that goes back to self-esteem. Like Mm -hmm. most people have low self-esteem. So they don't know what it feels like to get that hat trick or have a five goal game or a six point night or win a championship early on. They've been playing kind of this catch up. Uh, what like what's the secret sauce there must be a secret to the success of this sport or of life and once i figure that out then i'll get it instead of actually just enjoying it you know and 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 taking what they're good at you know because i remember my uh one of my uncles who was a hell of a hockey player he was the one i was telling you about when we were chatting last week the played with adam graves and glenn featherstone and a few other nhlers and he said, just always remember, dish the puck off because eventually you're going to give it back. You're going to get it back. And that goes to a solo cast that I put in our Facebook group. The more you give it away, the more it comes back. Jim Rohn says, when you start to, when you start to move towards success, success starts coming your way. You know, it, it's just, it's mind boggling. It really is. And that's the thing. Wayne Gretzky said in an interview that I watched, um, the 87 uh, Canada Cup. They were playing against the uh, the Russians there. And they had a team that should have wiped the floor. With, they, they should have just cleaned up. But I remember it was a tough one. It was like almost too much talent was on that team, so they couldn't really gel. He actually said at the start of the tournament Mario to Mario Lemieux, he said, Mario, now you're a better scorer than me. You know, we skate about the same. Our passing ability is the same. Hockey IQ is, is pretty well on par. But you're, you're a way better shooter and a way better goal scorer than me. 
So if I give it to you, you shoot, you know, don't wait for me. <laughs> and that's the best hockey player of all time in point production and, and everything that he's done admitting to someone else, you're better at me than this. So I don't want to do this. And that, and that's what's uh, a lot of youth athletes and, and people in life in general cannot admit that how many corporations have, have sales teams that work together or, or management teams or anything like that. But no one has the balls just to walk up to that person in the office and say, Hey, you know what? You're way better at, uh, at bringing these people in for us to talk to. And I know that, you know, you like, uh, I can really, I'm really good at closing on this product. You know, like if we do it this way, I know we're going to nail it and hit it out of the park more and more, but they don't make that decision to do that. They keep it inside. They don't let the, the, the class clown, the inner child come out and perform and show what they're really made of. They would rather just take with what's safe and what's guarded. And it's usually that whole fear thing and fear, which, which we generate in our mind. Like if we're not sure of something, as you know, your brain is like, gives you that terrible feeling like you should be physically hurt, but you're not. And that's your brain actually saying, Hey, I don't know. You're not physically damaged. I can't find something, but something's wrong. So you're to huddle away in the corner until I deem it safe to come out. Not realizing if you just started to take action, that feeling goes away instantaneously almost, you know, but it goes back to taking action, making that decision and doing it. If you got into such a repetition of loving the fact that you can make quick decisions like that, that feel that thought would never come into your head. It would never be there. You'd be conquering it. If, if there was a hundred tasks every day and you were getting, you know, 90% of them done. So for 10 split seconds, you might have a little bit of self doubt, but you overpowered it with so much more that you had that momentum and you just keep going. You just keep going. Right. So I think what, what that comes is when you, when you love to do something so much and you start to embrace the skills that you have, and learn how to put them in towards a passion. That's where you're really going to start making some progress in life and, and figure out, you know, how can I be a high performance person, you know, in my industry, in my sport, you know, in life in general, high performance person doesn't mean that you make trillions of dollars, you know, for, uh, by operating a company, you know, just, you know, some people can get our high performers at getting the best sleep ever best night's sleep. I got one buddy who just brags about how ever since he's changed his diet and gluten-free and grass-fed products and probiotic health and all that, uh, you know, he just says, oh, no one sleeps like I do. He's a high performer at his, at his sleeps <laughs> and, and at his, at his nutrition and his health and wellness. Um, but I, but there's other things that I'm a high performer at over him. He, I'm very good at getting on the phone and talking to people. You know, he doesn't like doing that. He likes instruction and coaching and and working with athletes. He doesn't like working with the customer and dealing with that. Right. So we all got our thing, right. No matter how, how ridiculous it might sound. Yeah. I mean, I, God, you touched on so many great things there. So much knowledge. I think fear is the biggest thing though. Fear stops all of us from really. So I talk about, I truly believe that there's greatness inside every person. Everybody's born with it. And the difference is some people there's two things. They go after it and just ignore the fear. And then others learn techniques, skills, and and tricks to get around the fear to get to the greatness, right? And you talked about it in launching a podcast. There's fear of, can I do this? Do I sound funny? Are people going to like me? Is anybody going to listen? 
And we all know whatever it is you're doing, you just have to take the first step. Yeah. The first step is the hardest, right? Yeah. And I'm going to say one last thing. I'll let you talk about it is what I love about sports. And I say this all the time. It is the greatest teacher for life. Agreed? Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. The, the thing with sports is for one, you can do it from an individual standpoint or a team standpoint, but you still have a support structure around you. You got coaches, you got medical staff, you got strength coaches. You know, now there's psych a lot like sports psych coaches, mental skills coaches. Like I work with a mental skills coach now, right? I, I used to not be the most coachable person and now I do. And it's actually helped me. My creative thinking is through the roof, you know? And the great thing about sports is you learn discipline. You learn how to overcome adversity, adversity, take action, push yourself. You know, you could be in a playoff game or in a competition weekend and that's it right there. It's on the line that day. You know, it's sink or swim. If you lose, it's done. It's over. It's gone. You know, see you next year and next year is going to come quick. (laughs) So you better, you know, wrap your head around it and think, okay, what worked, what didn't work. And you can take a lot out from the failure side and, and, and cause failure to me is just testing. Dan Pena said that failure is just testing. Right. And people think failure is, Oh, I'm a failure. I'll never do that again. And that becomes fear and fear. All that is our previous memories reminding you. So when you get a f- fearful thing, because you're, you're remembering something, you, you kind of did something similar to that. It didn't work out. And here's what happened. Most people think, oh, that means not to do it. No, it's fear is telling you, here's a memory. Here's what happened last time. Don't do this the next time. And now you think of a new way of how to think your way to success, right? And that's something that that I've started to, to do is th- you got to think your way to success. You just can't, you know, uh, you just can't show up and expect things to happen for you. And that's the thing about what's great about being a part of a team or being an individual athlete, say like a, you know, like a gymnast or something where you have the coach, you're able to brainstorm your sessions or have those brainstorming sessions and talk about different things and get different perspective and different philosophy. You might hear someone say something to you 20 times, you know, and it didn't click. And then when you're just a little bit older, then it did, then you got it. And then you knew how to do it more simple, right? And again, not saying it's not, I'm saying it's simple, not, it might still be difficult, but it's simple. You get the whole, the whole process of it. So yeah, you know, like I, and we can go like six hours into this, <laughs> but uh, it's just one of those things when you're on a team and people say, well, you got to push each other. That doesn't mean like just go up and pump each other up before every game and in between shifts. No, you have to have a competitive edge with each other. You know, there's always on a hockey team, there's always two or three goal scorers and you don't have to be a selfish goal scorer, but you can do things where, you know what, we all, we all score, but I got the most assists, Mm -hmm. you know, I got the best plus minus. I'm the one that, that takes the face off, you know, and that would push them. Hey, I want to start taking that face off. I'm going to take your spot. It's a fun competition among teammates. It can be. You know, and that, and that's the great, that's the great thing about a team environment is that you have people, you're not alone in it. Like a lot of people, I I used to think I can't wait to work at home alone. 
because I'll get so much more done. That only lasts for so long. And then when you start to get around people again, you mastermind, you bounce ideas. There's auto suggestion that comes in a ton of stuff uh, where, where you, you break out those daily disciplines. Like you've downloaded all this information from reading books, from audio tracks, from podcasts, whatever it might be. It's already in there. But until you start to take action and be around a team environment and be around sport and be around those disciplines, it will automatically start happening for you. Right. The, uh, and it's, it's amazing where if, if, if kids were taught that, and this is actually something that I'm developing in our Academy for online, if they could think their way to success, I think they would be a lot more, um, their development would happen a lot quicker. They would catch on to it quicker. They'd be more enthused about it. Agreed. And all that it's, and, and again, it's a process. It's not going to happen overnight, but there's different ways to do it. And thinking of right to success is it's worked out a lot better for me than, than saying, okay, well, let's just go and slug bricks for 20 hours and hope the boss uh, says, okay, we're going to double your salary or your hourly wage. I should say for that industry. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, you, you touched on something that I think is really important and for myself as a, as a hockey coach um, and in my own business, I try to develop mindset of anybody who plays for me even more than, I mean, we all know that skill development in the game of hockey is super important and it's, and we talked about this the other day on the, on the phone, which is skating is one of the things that's most overlooked and that's a whole nother conversation, but it's really that mindset. And like you said, it's, it's not just learning the game or to work as a team. It's how do you react when you lose a game? How do you react when you face failure? How do you learn to keep pushing? And and if you haven't read it, I highly recommend there's a book called Mindset by Carolyn Dweck. And she talks about the difference between what's called a fixed mindset and a growth mindset. Yep. And an example she uses is John McEnroe, the famous tennis player from back in the 70s and 80s. And, and his philosophy was, why rehearse for the play when you can show up and act? And so he was born with talent. And he just felt he was one of those people that felt like you either have talent or you don't, it cannot be developed. Whereas a growth mindset person, which is like the players you're talking about say, well, I have some talent, but I know that I can grow it and develop it and make it even bigger and greater and, you know, reach my full potential. Maybe I'm not great at, and I'm going to use hockey terminology. Maybe my backhand is not great, but I can work on it and make it great. Right. And so I know you agree with this, that mindset and the way you think is, is one of the most powerful traits, not just for hockey players, but for anybody who wants to achieve success in life. Yeah, absolutely. I, um, a friend of mine's Geraldine Heaney, who's in the hockey hall of fame. Uh, she was one of the greatest Canadian women players of all time. And, uh, she knows like, cause she was on the Olympic team. She knows Haley Wickenheiser really well. And she says, that's the one thing that Wickenheiser has over all of them is her mindset when she switches gears to something like she's becoming a doctor right now. Wow. And she's, yeah, yeah. She's a highly intelligent woman and a hell of a player. And, uh, she said, but it's just that thing. She, when she sets out to do something, it's done to the T it's done correctly. Step-by-step breaking it down process the whole nine yards. And people wonder, well, how does that one person get all that, you know, sponsors and, and recognition, you know, like, yeah, for sure. Like gr- amazing goal score, 
you know, and, and, and player overall played in the men's league in Finland, all that stuff. But then to leave the sport and then go and get your, your degree and your master's and your PhD on top of that. Now that's, that's a different animal and that is a mindset. Um, and even just like from, you know, what I've been going through with my own personal development, I was never big on, you know, uh, post-secondary education, university, college, none of that stuff. It just didn't interest me. I, I, everything I've done is self-taught up to this point. But my mindset has kind of changed where, you know, and this is more more Jim Rohn stuff, is his mentor Earl Shove said, don't wish that it was easier, wish that you were better. Don't wish for less problems, wish for more skills. And I've started been looking into like online courses through universities of things that are of interest just to me, just because if I know more of the theory of that, I can articulate my, what are my thoughts? Because I'm, I'm kind of a simpleton when it comes to speech. <laughs> like I used to stutter till I was six, right? Like really bad. And I got out of that, but I, I, you know, I, I like to think there's a few different ways to explain some things. And that's the thing about with athletes who do have some talent, but need to develop more over time. It's because they haven't been explained it a certain way. You can explain something maybe four or five times or four, four or five different ways. I mean, and it means the same thing, you know, and then what Macro says, there are some who are just like that. They just had it. They don't understand it. And it just comes that way. And that's, that's a high performance brain in that skull, right? That's controlling that body to be able to do that. And some people have that, to, uh, that's a gift to them, but they probably struggle, struggle in some other things because usually the ones who had that, and I've seen a lot of it with hockey players who were just absolutely over the top to the point where people are like, Oh, that person's got OCD. That's why they, they can't sit still and practice. And, you know, no, they're just operating on such a high level because it came so easy to them. But when they leave the game, then it's the, well, I used to do this in hockey. Where's my hundred thousand a year? My 200,000 a year. Like I know a lot of people like that. They, they leave the game and they, and that they have that mindset stuck. But I, I was a tremendous hockey player. Like, like just me existing would help your company huge. And that goes back to the marketplace and, and value. Well, yeah, you were a valuable athlete to your sport. What can you do for us here? Because what was easy for you to, to do in hockey isn't easy for you in, in the working place. And you have to be able to open your mind and adapt to that. And sometimes they cannot develop the new skill of just being open-minded about life Yeah, because they've been, they've been on top their entire life. Now they have to start down here and work their way up and climb the ladder. And it's no, that doesn't work for me. That doesn't work for me. It's you with the problem, not me. Yeah. I, I think the, the biggest nugget that you've brought to this conversation today, and you've brought many, thank you, which is bring value on a daily basis to whatever it is you're doing, plain and simple. Oh, That's it. absolutely. Like right now, before I started the London real, real course, um, I was at a, you know, a fork in the road with my hockey club. So to back up a bit, to give a bit of background on this last year, we had a phenomenal year over 400 girls in the program. Our Monday night league was sold out six tournament teams. Uh, we had eight, uh, university prep teams. Our uh, showcase was sold out. Awesome year. So I say, okay, well, what I did last year in terms of my sales campaign and my recruiting campaign, I'm going to do that. I'm going to 10 exit though. I'm going to be more prepared. I'm going to talk to more people. And I did that. 
and it didn't work. Yeah. And, I'll, and I'll tell you why. Because I cannot make my league any better than what it is. It was it's it's ten games, a nice uniform, really good officials. Everyone gets the prize at the end of the year, and uh, the champions get their prize because I still believe there shouldn't just be participation stuff. Like we give them a hoodie, everyone gets a hoodie, and then the champs get get their stuff extra. Amen. Uh, absolutely, and uh, and I ca- I can't make that any better. I cannot provide better coaching or better ice times or scheduling. We already kind of mastered that for our tournament programs, for our university prep program, for our showcase, you know, like we have universities that come out to it. We have former NHL coaches that participate on the bench in it. We can't, we can't bring much more. It's, it's, we've made it, we've like maxed out the value and in hockey, especially the hockey business, some parents like to try a bunch of different things in spring and summer. They don't stick to one club like they do in, in fall and winter, which I, you know, I'm biased. I'm going to say, I think that's wrong. Cause you, you get all this momentum with us and then you try mm-hmm. someone else. Well, why don't you continue? We know what you need after working with you for like uh, six months. Um, so to, to continue on from that, when I had done that, all of a sudden I was, I was calling up parents and they were really like sour, not, not at me or at hockey, but they were sour at life. They were, you know, oh, the season's starting again. And we just, you know, we did two more tournaments in August. We got hardly of a, of a summer, this and that. I had one mother who called me, you know, like I've known her for many years and we're, you know, we're family friends, basically. You know, she's crying about like hockey's ruining their household because they paid for the hockey and missed the mortgage payment. Wow. You know, and I started to feel I remember I had, I think it was like a little over a hundred calls that week booked. I canceled all of them because I was not bringing the value that was now required to the program. People still love my program, but I've brought it. It's giving the most value it can. And I'm not helping people solve their problems with their, with their daughter's hockey or their son's hockey. All I'm doing is bringing the same thing to the table. So that's when I got on my own personal development kick and started saying, how can I bring more value to the marketplace? And that, again, that's a Jim Rohn thing. I've learned a lot from that guy and that even, uh-huh. even to this day, put it this way, he, he passed away in 2009 and he's still bringing value to the marketplace with all of his seminar recordings and books and all that. Um, cause, and he's servicing and helping a lot of people. And that's what I thought I wanted to, that's why I thought this is what we need to do. And we can start with the hockey club and we can expand it to different parts, different walks of life throughout the world. Um, So as I started to do this, when you start to think, how can I bring more value to the world and to the marketplace? Brian said it perfectly in our course call the other day, how he said a company is meant to create a product that solves problems for a lot of people. That's the trade-off. I have this to solve your problem. Okay, I'll pay you for it. The value that that value is 10 X compared to what my hockey club can do. You can get a skill instructor, strength coach, tournament team. You can find that anywhere. I like to think we do it quite well, but that's up to the marketplace to dictate that at the same time though, moving forward, when you bring value to the world, you start thinking on a different level. Like there's things I'm thinking now I I can provide so much more on a more cost effective scale that still works for me to grow my business and to grow as a person and to be happier 
and it helps my athletes than to just say, well, no, it's whoever's got the checkbook out and can afford it this year. That's, that's who's, that's who we're going to provide the value to. And it's changed the whole thing. So when you realize, you know, when you can find value in what you can provide that you're passionate about, oh, you're just going to, you know, you're going to take off like a rocket man. And, and that goes back to, again, to playing sport. I, I used to score goals up to a certain point. The, the gap closed as I got older, but I could hit and I could check and I could wear the other team down and I, you change and you adapt your role, but my value was still high to that team. And that's what I've tried to done with myself. Now I was losing value to my marketplace because we're doing similar things every year. It wasn't good enough. Now we're doing new things. Why, parents still love it when I call them and when I say, Hey, I got this new thing here. This is what we're doing now. Well, really what's that? Well, no one has that. You know, that that's great. We could use that. You know, and then you start to get energized. You have the energy, you know, the divine energy to keep moving forward and your passion is reignited. And then maybe those things that didn't seem so valuable before you go back to them like, no, this is fun again. Here's how we're going to do it this time to make it better. So value. Yeah, absolutely. If you, if you, if you amplify the value to your marketplace, oh, like living's fun, man. <laughs> I think it goes for anything. I, I, as you were talking, I was thinking if you're a stay-at-home mom, stay-at-home dad, whatever it is you do, you have to bring value to it daily. You just do. So, man, we the time is flying here. I want to get into, because you just launched your podcast, The Real Experience, and I want to talk about that. I want to you know, let you talk about it a little bit. So talk about where the idea came from, what the inspiration was, and uh, you know what it's all about. Okay. Well, the quick thing is for podcasting, I see it as a performing art almost. Mm -hmm. And when I was a kid, my mom wanted, wanted me to go to Etobicoke school of the arts. She wanted me to go into acting. And I used to watch Saturday night live as a kid religiously. We had direct TV back in the day when direct TV was a big thing. They would do reruns of the early to mid nineties. So Farley, Spade, Sandler, Myers, all those guys. And I love Chris Farley. And Mm -hmm. I really was into that whole thing of acting. I can remember uh, uh, films line for line when I was a kid, it, it was, it was insane, but I chose hockey cause I was in the Mecca. So I've always had this part of me deep inside that inner child that we talked about who wants to perform on something. And when I started to, uh, get, uh, watching London real, which then introduced me to Joe Rogan's podcast, which he's done some phenomenal ones like Jake Roberts and diamond Dallas page and, you know, tons of guys on there. Of course, wrestlers I mentioned are the only two. It's like how in depth you watch. Well, you know, Joey Diaz and, you know, Brandon Schwab and all them, those guys too. Um, But yeah, like I thought, man, this is really cool. And then I started thinking, okay, well, this is actually a good skill to amplify, you know, myself to a greater audience and to show what I'm saying and for me to get people on and talk about real life experience. And obviously we use, we use hockey as the base because that's where our biggest audience is. And we're going to be expanding to, you know, to different uh, areas, but it was helping validate what I had been preaching. A parent would call me about something. I would tell them what to do and they wouldn't do it. Now they listen to my podcast Someone else says it, like Brian Adolski, who coaches in the Russians Women's League, is he's coaching the Chinese team that just won it. Um, he says it now. Oh, yeah, that's perfect. Now we're going to take action. So that's how I found a way around that to provide that value, right? So for this podcast, it was funny, actually. The name um, I was thinking before I signed up for the London Real course, 
uh, to, to take it, which is a phenomenal course. It's, it, it really puts your back up against the wall to get stuff done and it makes things happen. So the real experience, you've, you've seen the logo. So re, the word real is inspired by London Real. Experience from Joe Rogan Experience, except the E's removed. And the big X, that's the, uh, the red X from uh, Grant Cardone's The 10X Rule from his book. And then black, red, and white is Dan Pena's most traditional suit that he wears, his three-piece. So I took four influencers that have really helped me along the way, and I stuck it into one, and I created a real experience podcast, real people, real experience. And and that's something uh, with my mini audience, when I first started out, they have all these questions of what are the, where's the answer? You know, athletes, time management. I'm told that all the time. What does it mean? Work harder. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm grunting. Isn't that what you meant? You know, goal setting, what, what, you know, uh, all that stuff. Like they don't know. No one tells them. And I thought, okay, well we can do this. We can be broad on some of our subjects. We can get micro with some of our subjects. We can be specific to hockey or to, you know, personal development, whatever it might be, life skills, whatever. And the return's been pretty great so far. And as we do our official launch this weekend, I can only imagine we have uh, we have a database of over 5,000 people. So I hope it really reaches and spreads there. But, um, you know, it, it's something where I've been able to uh, express myself better because I had all this inner music inside and I, I had this big dream of I want to do this and that to help. But this is, but, you know, something like this, this tool here, this microphone here helps get that out and create possibilities for everything. One thing I wanted to do was book a, uh, one of the theaters in Mississauga close to where I live and run a summit. And now something like that, we're able to use this to broadcast that out there, to network with more people who are great speakers and great interviewers to be a part of that, not just to service our athletes, but for their parents, for business professionals, all that stuff. You know, so that's what really got me into it and to, uh, you know, get, get it going here. And I'm, I'm having a blast doing it now that I'm being interviewed too, as you can tell, I, I can finally, you know, ramble for a bit now and not just be the quiet one on the other side of it. <laughs> wow, you've gotten really good at it. I've had the uh, opportunity to listen to several episodes and you're doing an amazing job. And what I love is, you know, how you said you would tell a parent something and then now they listen to your podcast and they say, oh yeah, okay. Now that I heard him say it. It's very similar to being a parent, by the way. You tell your kids the right thing and then they don't do it. They don't believe you. And then they hear it somewhere else and they go, oh, I'm going to do that. And you're like, that's what I told you to do anyway. Yeah. You know, so <laughs> it's psychology. Um, well, I, I will, before we move on, I will say that, uh, you know, your podcast is awesome. I wish you all the best. Um, you have a lot to share with the world and, and uh, I can't wait till it goes live and you launch it because I, I know it's going to make a huge difference. And before I get into a couple more questions, I want to ask you as we wind down here is I always tell everybody that the iceberg is the best teacher of success because the mass of the iceberg lies below the water. Yeah. And if you see anybody who's successful in life, you don't see the mass that's beneath the water of their success. You don't see all the hours. You and I spoke the other day about Connor McDavid, one of the top players in the game of hockey today. Now with the with with YouTube, you do see some of the work, but most people don't see the hours of work that he put in, the dedication to his sport to become that great. And I just want people to know whatever it is you want to do in life, if you want to be great and you want to bring that value, 
you got to do the work. That's my logo. That's my saying, do the work, right? Yeah. Got to do the work. Absolutely. And, and Connor McDavid's a great example about that. That guy's a different animal, man. I, I know is. his, uh, the family who did his training, um, the Quins, uh, it's, uh, they, they, uh, run power edge pro, which is a phenomenal brand, uh, a phenomenal hockey brand. And they work with a lot of NHLers. And I remember Joe, who's the, the dad, his, uh, his son, Nick, who I got to know pretty good a couple of years ago. Um, he was saying about, uh, he told me a story and I, I told this to you, but for your listeners, I'll tell them, uh, he was at a tournament to, in like Peewee or something. And it was the finals and Mario Lemieux happened to be in the arena and he was in the hallway and everyone rushed out all the, both teams rushed out photos, autographs, you know, championship games, 10 minutes away. <laughs> and one of his coaches came in, he said, Connor, let's get going. Let's get going. And, uh, you know, Mario Lemieux's out there and he just sat there and said, we got a game to get ready for. Now that's the story I was told, but being a hockey player, I can 100% believe that from the type of player that he is, because it, it is, it is crazy. I've seen some of the, I've had the luxury of seeing some of the, the stuff that they had on the iPad that they showed with him. And it's just dialed in, man. It's really, it's laser beam focus. And if you saw some of the stuff and especially from when, uh, after he did his leg in there earlier in his career, mm-hmm. if you watch that stuff, it is, uh, and you, you had mentioned this, uh, I think with Crosby, it's very simple stuff they're doing to get back into it, but they're executing it. And that goes back to that drill of, I don't know why I'm doing this. This is stupid. And that's the difference. Those top guys, they don't care how simple it is. They know the purpose and they're doing it because the sooner they do it and get it over with, they're going to get back to full form. But yeah, the, the hard work is, and it's it's kind of fun when you start to see, and I think accountability documents are great because when you start to see that and you compete against people and you say, no, 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 you're not going to work me. I'm going to I'm going to lead the pack or jump ahead of the race or or do more episodes or do more reps or more sets. And that's something I like that Goggins did. I think that would be great for teams. You do an accountability document and you have your your team, you know, your team uh, training and you say, OK, whoever has the most reps done in this exercise by the end of the week or total reps in wins Olympics, whatever. And it's actually funny, even that, you know what Finland does with their testing to, to mm. push their athletes more? They don't care about the reps. They actually want to see how long the athlete, and they did it with chin-ups is a great example, how long that athlete will fight to get that final rep in. That's what they log. And that goes to that hard work. That's you, that that's the exertion part, but that's the mindset of pushing yourself. No, I'm, I'm going to be stubborn. I'm just going to try and get one more out. I'm going to try and squeeze one more. And they wait to see who gives up the, the, the very, at the very end. I love that because that, that's going to show you who's going to dig harder. Who's going to give more effort during a game when they're tired at the end of a shift, whatever you're going to, that separates, pardon the expression, the men from the boys, the girls from the women, right? The, yep. the slackers to the over, you know, the achievers. I mean, that, that's awesome. I love that. I hadn't heard that. Thank you for sharing. All right. So I got to get to a couple of questions here before we wind down, but I always like to ask these few questions, which is what profession other than your own, would you like to attempt? Oh, that's a good one. <laughs> Oh man. Well, you stumped me there for a second. Um, 
I think if if I if I went the education route, I think psychology would have been something I would have been like I would have liked to have done. Um, because I do like to under like to be in conversation and dive deeper into issues and kind of bring that mental approach around. I think that's something I really would have liked. Uh, if it was like a you know a, a career that's you know where you're getting you know your your doctorates and all that. When I was younger, I wanted to be a chiropractor. And I failed grade 10 bio and I thought, well, yeah, sciences aren't for me. <laughs> but when it comes to the, you know, psychology, that was something too. Because I like to use psychology as a coach, you know. And I kind of learned that psychology from watching wrestling with the in-ring psychology from guys from the 80s and stuff like that. Like how to get people fired up by watching promos, right? And you use the promo to do your, you know, your your intermission speech or whatever. And to really, you know, I like to try and take a take a regular mindset and make an exceptional mindset at the end of the day, get, get that athlete or person to realize how, how powerful they actually are. Mm. I love that task. And there's a lot of psychology work that goes into it in an attempt, you know, it's almost like uh, Scotty Bowman, you know, when he was a coach, Larry Robinson said when they would go and went on the, go on the West coast and, and go undefeated, they come back and have these horrendous no puck practices and hard skating. They lose the next night. It was 20 minutes and off. Like it was like a subtle torture, you know, to push his players saying, when you're winning, I'm going to push even harder. When you lose, I'm going to get you to learn how to get over it quicker. Yeah. So uh, psychology, that's actually something I was looking at. Um, if I were to do anything with an undergrad or anything, um, university courses, wh- whatever that might be, I haven't looked too in depth in it, but psychology is definitely something uh, I'd like to do. And actually it, it kind of piqued my interest when I watched uh, Brian's uh Brian and Joe Rogan's interviews with Jordan Peterson, mm. who is an extremely intelligent guy, very misunderstood, yeah. but I get him. So that's why I like him so much. But uh, he, to, to be that well thought out and articulated and, you know, to, you know, use your words so precisely that you've covered everything in a very short sentence. Yeah. That's, that's, that's a different level. That's a high performance on a different level. Not even an athlete. That's a, that's something else, man. And that it's really cool to, to watch him in action. I love that. Jordan Peterson's Canadian, right? Yeah, he's actually University of Toronto. Um, yeah, he's working on another book right now. He was in his detox there. He, you know, because he has psych a, a, a psychologist, a psychiatrist who has a has his own, you know, uh, issues with depression and anxiety mm-hmm. and that stuff too. And that goes as coaches. I'm sure you hear. Sometimes we're really good at coaching others, but we're not good at coaching ourselves. And that, yeah. and someone who, and that's a high performer who you could probably say has. Uh, you know, who has that, but obviously for different reasons, that's a lot more on the plate. He's a, he's no one around the world now. Huge influencer. Yeah. Agreed. All right. So if heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gates? You're hired. (laughs) (laughs) You're in, right? You made the team. (laughs) Yeah. Get this guy a uniform. (laughs) I love that. That's the best answer I think anybody's given. Yeah. Well, I'm going to stop right there with no explanation. <laughs> Unless you that's want awesome. But, but, no, you know, that's great. You know what? I, it was, uh, I, I remember my grandma joked that with, with that one, with me one time is, uh, uh, cause you know, she was Roman Catholic and I went to church and, and all that stuff. Um, she tried to get me to go, but when I was a kid, she had to bribe me with McDonald's to go. And then I, then that wore off pretty quick. And she said, okay, I'll just leave you alone. But, um, she said to me, I remember when I was a kid, because like, you know, when you're a kid, you think death, oh, that's really scary. And she said, no, that's just God's way of saying that you did a good job and you're hired. You can work for him now. 
And I, like I said, that. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. She, yeah. She was, a, she was a very uh, smart woman for a Cape Bretoner who, who moved to Toronto with my grandpa when they're like 15, 16 years old. So, you know, no education or anything, but they just uh, philosophy on life, something on the East coast in Canada, those people, uh, there's a reason why they're so relaxed. <laughs> you know, I will tell you that uh, the guy who got me on this journey, Tom Bilyeu, he will tell you that you can have an even better education by self-educating yourself with all the knowledge that's out there today than you can get from a university. So, yeah. Oh, I, yeah. I remember one short story and then we will move on. Cause I know we're running tight on time. Um, I remember when I went to the, uh, local 506, which is the labor's union in Toronto, uh, part of Layuna, which is the biggest labor's or, uh, association in North America. And I was 22 at the time. And I got the highest grade in there. I had like a 97 or a 98, basically out of all my testing in an eight week course that had a ton of uh, practical and written tests. I only got three points wrong. Wow. And, and one of them was, I, look, I looked at it when the guy, when my instructor told me, he's like, how did you get this wrong? You got all the hard ones, right? You got this one wrong. And I was like, oh, that's just being really tired on a Friday. <laughs> when I looked at the answer, I'm like, you dumbass. <laughs> um but I remember when, when we were, it was our last day and I, I had a few, uh, I had a few of my, uh, classmates come up to me, you know, and say, you know, you got a lot of potential. And I had one, one fellow who came up to me, he was 28, 29 years old. He'd done university. He'd work at some bigger companies and, um, in the construction industry made good money. Like, and he knew his, he knew his stuff too. Right. But he, he was just going through the motions. He knew he just had to do it to get into the union. And he, he already had his job lined up. And he said to me, like, what are you doing here? I said, what do you mean? He's like, well, you don't belong here, man. And at that time, and still to this day, I sell myself short on what my capabilities are. People tell me like, you have a great voice for podcasting. Like, you know, our, co- our coach key has told me like yourself, you know, I was really appreciative of, of how much you pumped my tires. So I'll get that hundred bucks to you about that uh, after the show. But, uh, I don't see it. And I was like that as an athlete. Mm. I'd score two goals in a game. We'd win the game. Parents, why aren't, why aren't you smiling? Why aren't you happy? Well, we have a whole season to play still. If we don't win the championship, what's the point? And that's something me, that's kind of like a, it, it's it's good, but it's also a bit of a self-sabotaging activity that's still kind of ingrained in me. But it keeps me, it keeps me accountable saying, hey, you're never going to be good enough. You got to keep going and going and going. And I always tell people, you know, making money is very easy. Being fulfilled in life, that's difficult. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I call that the cup with the hole in the bottom. Yep. It doesn't matter how big the cup is. doesn't matter how much you fill it up. If you're not fulfilled, it's just going to keep running out through the bottom and you'll never find fulfillment. And you've got to go inward. You've got to do the work on you first to find that fulfillment. David Goggins, who you mentioned, it's the accountability mirror. It's yeah. looking at yourself in the mirror and being brutally honest with yourself, calling yourself out and, and stepping up. All right. So first I want to thank you for taking this time today. You shared so much amazing information. Of course, you and I could talk hockey for hours, probably days. Oh, yeah. oh absolutely. Um, <laughs> and you know, I, I love what you're doing. I thank you for being here. And I, this is the last question I ask everybody, which is what is the mark you want to leave on the world? The mark that I want to leave on the world is that when I leave here, I've left more teachings, more philosophy, more solutions for the people who followed 
whether and whether if that's one person or half the half the population of this earth where they can better themselves and realize that there are different ways to think to success there's ways to get yourself out of your your stinking thinking out of those depressions and you know to say you know the the what he left like what he left is what he gave us you know and that was for us to use that's that's what i want to do i love it it's a great answer man hey thank you for your time for being here today i wish you continued success i'm going to take you up on that offer we talked about the other day and take a flight up to canada once we're allowed to go out again yeah i'll be going and, to canada uh, too buddy <laughs> absolutely step on the ice with you and i'll be calling you during the season to run some drills past you buddy Absolutely. I got to get you on real experience right away too. We got to dig deep on your stuff. So it's Sounds all good. good, man. I appreciate it. And guys, if you like this, please subscribe, share it, like it. I'll make sure that you have Scott's contact information if you have any other questions. And remember, it all starts with a decision. Thank you for joining us on another episode of The Daily Decision. If you like what you hear, please do us a favor, share it, like it, subscribe to it, tell your friends about it. And remember, it all starts with a decision.